So we are in a series called Influencers, and this is uh, something I just thought would be great because I have all of these men who have influenced me in my life, uh, coaches and mentors and friends, and, and I just got to thinking, man, why would I just keep all this to myself? Uh, they have just done amazing things. Bob Green, Pastor Bob Green, uh, kicked off this series. Then last week, uh, Brad Sprague, wow, that was fantastic. Brad was just unbelievable, unbelievable. If you missed any of those, you can go back and, and check it out on the podcast. But this is, um, I want you to envision, this is like, uh, I sit across the lunch table, I, I sit uh, across a Zoom meeting with, uh, with these people, and I, I just thought, man, I want you to hear what I get an opportunity to hear. I think we all need to have influencers and we need to be an influencer. And I've been talking about like many times that person who influences you is someone who's ahead of you in the game. And if you don't have that, you need to find that. You need to find somebody that loves Jesus and is finishing the race ahead of you and you, it's where you want to be in 20 years. Just think, where do I want to be in 20 years and however old you are, add 20 and go find that person. And say, can we go to lunch? Can we go to coffee? And then let God just take it from there. So Brad, last week, he spoke and he's poured into my life. And we talked last week about this pastor's group that he put together, a pastor's cohort. And in that cohort, I didn't know when I went into that cohort that I was going to meet some of my lifelong closest friends. And I didn't know that they were going to be there in some of the most excruciating and most difficult days of my life. And some of the most excruciating and difficult days in their life. And with this group of pastors, we, we came together about 10 years ago. And then we decided to keep doing that, and we started going to lunch. And so we go to lunch about every other week. And I think you not only have, need to have somebody that's older you, than you that's influencing you, but you need somebody that's younger than you that's influencing you. And so who's coming today is uh, the guy who introduced me to Brad, uh, Matt Nelson, who's pastor at City Church. He, he said, hey, I want you to come to this uh, cohort and check it out. It's free. Um, and, and I was like, oh, it's free. Okay, good, great. I'll do it free. You got me. And I uh, got into that group, and then we became such great friends. And, and he has had a huge impact on me as a, as a man of God, as a pastor, and as a leader. Um, he's just got incredible knowledge and insight. He's one of the great young leaders in our city. And he's written a book that at, he won't hawk the book, so I will. Uh, do you have your book on you? You're gonna show, okay, he'll show the book here in a minute. But he's written this book called The Beauty of the In-Between. I've read it. It's amazing. Many of you have read that. It's an incredible resource. He'll talk more about that in a moment. But he pastors at City Church. His lovely wife, Lindsay's here today, too. Would you give her some love? And welcome, Matt Nelson. Come on, Matt. Man, it's so good to be with you this morning. Hey, can we do this real quick? Can you just bow your heads with me? I just want to pray for us as we enter in. Father, uh, we just pray in this moment. Um, we just humble ourselves before you, and we just ask that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit this morning. Um, we open our hearts to receive what you want us to receive. We don't come in with preconceived ideas. We don't have all this figured out, Father. Um, we're desperate for you. We need you. And I just pray this morning, I just believe you're going to meet some people in this place, in this moment. Um, you're going to rejuvenate some maybe hearts and souls that have been dormant or dead or things that are happening inside of them. And we just ask God that you would move in our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
you got your Bibles and you want to follow along with me, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Um, I have tons of stories I could share about your pastor. So many things I could say. Um, let me say this, though. This man is the real deal. He is the real deal. He is one of the most genuine men of God uh, that I've ever been around. And uh, I'm so honored to have him in my life. Uh, and let me tell you, uh, don't underestimate the importance of faithfulness and just consistency. And he's one of those men of God that I can always go to. I'm not just saying this. And, and anytime I speak somewhere, I always want to honor the pastor. But he is one of the greatest men of God. And if I wasn't pastoring a church in Midtown, I would attend this church. I, I mean that. Uh, because of him, his love for God, um, he always draws me back to center. He's such a man of prayer. Um, and man, I just, I just honor you today, Brad. Love you, brother. Laura, love you so much. Yeah, give your pastor. It's such an incredible, incredible man. Uh, I did write a book a couple years ago. I hear that every time a pastor tries to sell his book, an angel loses its wings. And so I'm just not good at this. Uh, I was able to do a men's event here a, a while back and able to speak on this. If, if you want the book, it's out there for you. They're $10. If you don't have $10 today, it's my gift for you just to bless you. Uh, it's called The Beauty of the In-Between. This morning, I'm going to speak a little bit uh, into that. I did not write this book out of, my, uh, out, out of something that uh, I'm great at. I actually wrote it out of my greatest struggle. It's something I still struggle with. It's things that God has revealed to me in this process, but I struggle with it. Um, I realized several years ago that I had spent most of my life playing this game. It, it, it's called the win-then game, and all of us play it in our life. When I get to this place, then these things will happen. Anybody ever been there? When I graduate college, then all the things are going to fall into place. When my kids, when we have kids, when my kids get older, when the pandemic ends, then this will happen. When we get out of financial strain, then fill in the blank. And I realized most of my life I was just playing the win-then game. But here's the thing about the win-then game. It's always eluding you, doesn't it? It's always just a little bit in front of where you are. You end up in life just chasing one thing after another. And it was this revelation that I got in my life that I have spent most of my life chasing after the next thing, the next experience, whatever it may be. And the then that we get to, when you fill in the blank, the then is like you think it's going to lead to peace or contentment or fulfillment but how many know it's always just outside your grasp, isn't it? It's always just around the corner. It's just, you're just a little bit away from the breakthrough that you need. And, and here's the thing that makes it harder for me, and some of you may be able to identify with this. I'm, I'm an achievement addict. I'm a future addict. I'm a progress addict. I'm always thinking about the next thing, and so I can't ever enjoy the moment. So like last, last Sunday night, we did baptism night. It was a celebration. It's like Monday morning staff meeting. We get together, and it's time to celebrate, and we're going to tell stories. And guess what I'm thinking about? Like, can we get through this celebration? Because we got stuff we got to do, right? Yeah, we baptized people. Lives were changed, but Sunday's coming again, right? We've got some more. That's just how my brain works. I'm a horrible celebrator. My staff knows this. I have a hard time stopping to smell the roses, uh, I don't know if any of you are like me. There, there's two groups of people in life. There's one group of people when you're on a journey and like you're driving somewhere, you're trying to get there as quickly as possible and stop as few times as possible. Anybody in the room? You kind of like that? There's another group of you that are like you pull over at the state sign so that you can take a picture. Anybody in the room? I, I don't get you. I don't get that. People are like, pull over, let's take a picture. No, I'd have to pass all those people again. Right? I'm not passing all of them again. 
Like so much so, I'll look back at my seven-year-old daughter and be like, you're peeing in a cup. I don't care how hard it is. We just stopped. No, you're going to have to make it work. I'm sorry. That, that's just how I'm wired. Like we got to get there, right? And how many know you stop sometimes and like, you don't stop and smell the roses? You don't enjoy the journey? I see people on the side of the room and they're laughing, taking a picture next to the state sign. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. Sometimes I wish I was that way. But for me, there's always another place. I need to get to. But here's the problem I ran into in my life. Breakthrough was always eluding me. It leads to burnout. It leads to frustration. It leads to discontentment. And really, the book, The Beauty of the In-Between, was God's message to me in saying, if you don't enjoy the place that you're in, you will miss life. Because life is always eluding you. You're always one step away. But how many know if you embrace the struggle, the ups and downs, embrace the season that God has you in, don't look at it and say, you know what, I just want to get on to the next thing. And I know last year when we were all kind of quarantined, I had all these pastors that were freaking out. My pastor friends, we got to do this, we got to do that. And I was like, hey, like God just gave you a built-in sabbatical to like stay home and do nothing. Like take it, rest, right? Like learning that in every season of life, there's something that God wants to do in us and through, down if we, through us if we'll slow down and embrace the place we're in. Wayne Mueller wrote a book called Sabbath. It's, it's one of my favorite books. It's, it's this rhythm of rest in our life, and it's actually on the title page of the book, and I want to read this to you. Look, look at this quote. It says, the eschatology of progress is an inflated pyramid scheme where our riches exist always to be mined and harvested in the future through endless expanding markets, not here, not now, but there and later, we will see the promised land. We will make the big score. Our ship will come in. We will get the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Our time will come. We will strike it rich. We will hit the jackpot. We will be on easy street. If the promised land is the good and perfect place, then where we are right now must be an imperfect place, a defective place. If the future is sacred, then the present is profane. Every day we are alive, every day we are not yet in paradise is a problem. Our daily life is an obstacle in the way. It is another day short of the end time. Today, because it is not yet perfect, is always a bad day. Every time we finally reach the future, listen to this, it vanishes into the present. This perplexing, perplexing tendency of the future to keep eluding us does not, of course, teach us to be more present, but rather to accelerate faster. Maybe one of the greatest lies and deception that our culture has believed is that if we just accelerate faster, we get to where we want to go, right? How many know it doesn't matter how fast you run on a hamster wheel, you're not getting anywhere any quicker? We're on this treadmill of performance, and here we are. We're like, I'm going to kick it up, and I'm going to run faster. And we're not getting there. We're, we're just tired. We're, we're burned out. We're running as fast as we can, and yet not getting any closer to the places that, that we really want to be in life. In the book, and, and, and is really the story of David, and I'm not going to be speaking on David this morning, but it, it looks the life of David, and there's three places that I believe are so key in, in David's life, and the first one is the pasture. The pasture is when you're set aside. The, the pasture is a season of waiting. A pasture is when you feel like you're in obscurity, you're forgotten, and how many know all of us live in pasture seasons, where you're like, God, this is just... I didn't think it was going to be this way, and you feel like you're set aside, but God is doing something. The preparation is building something inside of you that will prepare you for the places God has for you. The second place that we're all going to visit in life is the cave. 1 Samuel chapter 22, David comes to the cave of Adullam. He's second in command of the armies of the living God. Next thing you know, he is dodging a javelin spear from Saul, running out a side window, running for his life. The cave is the place where life doesn't go according to plan. Anybody ever been there? This wasn't going to be a part of my story. 
This wasn't supposed to be how it, how it went. And here is David literally comes to a cave alone, all of his dreams shattered, and God, he's thinking it's over, and God says, no, it's far from over. It's just not going to look like what you thought it was going to look like. But I'm in this. And these misfits and bandits and all these forgotten people come around David, and he begins to leave an, uh, lead an army of nobodies. And then David finally comes to the palace. And I'm going to speak a little bit to the palace this morning, and I know the palace is the place everybody wants to get to, but I, I think one of the key uh, prayers that I had to, that had to shift in my life is this, and this is what I want to speak on the next few minutes that we're together. We must go from God, change my circumstances, to God, please change me. We must move from God, change my circumstances, to God, would you change me? And this is a hard reality for many of us because so many of us have been led to believe that it's our circumstances that are dictating our situation. It's our circumstances. It's easy to blame circumstances. It's hard to admit that you have a soul problem. It's hard to look inside and say, you know what? My restlessness is really not because of my situation. My restlessness is because I don't know who I am in Christ and I can't rest in that. My restlessness comes from my need to achieve. My restlessness comes from the opinions of everybody else around me, from what everybody else is telling me uh, about me. It's hard to admit that we have soul problems, but when we want to experience the palace in our life, what happens is when it happens when we allow God to do this deep, deep work in our soul. We stop chasing, we stop blaming others, we stop looking around for other things to fulfill. So many people, I see a young generation right now, and it's literally they look at their life, and they're just trying to fill their life with as many good experiences as possible, and I want to go on this trip, and relationships, and all of these different things, and you can fill your life with all of them, and, get, and then you're empty, right, at the end of it. It's an illusion. It's an illusion of life, but in, until you deal with the soul, it's always eluding us. I love the book of Philippians, because Philippians is a picture of spiritual maturity. It's a prison epistle, so Paul's at the end of his life, and Paul is kind of looking back, and he's writing to this church in Philippi. Here's the great thing about the church in Philippi, is that they were one of the few churches in Paul's life that hadn't screwed it up, right? He wasn't writing them to say, hey, you've fallen off the wagon, you're into heretical teaching, stop fighting with each other. It's actually, it's a book of joy saying, you look, look what you've done, you've reached out, you've given me financial gifts, and it's this, it's this picture of what spiritual maturity looks like. And the theme in the book of Philippians is joy. It, it says the word rejoice more than any other word in the book. And yet Paul is writing this from a prison cell. And he gives us a glimpse into what spiritual maturity looks like. So I just want to read these few verses to you. And I know Philippians 4.13 gets all the press, but look at Philippians 4.12. I, I think it's the greatest picture of spiritual maturity. Paul says this, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, the, the, say it with me, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. There are statements in the book of Philippians that is such a picture of spiritual maturity that Paul would say to live is Christ and to, to die is gain. Can, can we say that? Can we really say that inside of us that 
man, to live as Christ, to die as game. He says, I've learned this secret of contentment. Now, here's the thing that we miss because we don't live in the first century. So when Paul is speaking about contentment, he's actually um, talking about a, a, a Stoic philosophy that was ingrained in the culture of that time. And the Stoic philosophy was this. It was about self-sufficiency, that everything that you need for life is found inside of you. It's amazing that we haven't really got that far from what they were dealing with 2,000 years ago, is it? Because our culture is telling you that if you self-actualize and you find the purpose that's inside of you, you'll receive, you'll, you'll receive life to the fullest. You'll find out who you are. You'll live your purpose. How many know that's a lie? Because you're not God. You are who God says you are. You find your identity in Christ. And, with, and, and apart from that, you'll never know who you truly are. You'll never know, find peace. And Paul is actually writing this, knowing that there's this prevailing stoic philosophy and thought that everybody around them and even has seeped into the church, and he says, I want to get it right. Because I've learned this secret. Paul, we know, went through numerous difficulties in life. And he, he was a murderer of Christians and had Stephen uh, martyred and then came to Christ. He was beaten several times, stoned to death, almost to death, shipwrecked, left for dead, arrested on numerous occasions. The Ephesians mob turned against him. He had churches in Corinth and Galatia turn away from the gospel and struggling. Him and his, his business partner, Barnabas, parted ways. He had people that just abandoned the gospel and shipwrecked their faith. We know that Paul struggled with a thorn in the flesh, right? And instead of God, God taking away the thorn, what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes we think because Paul was receiving these revelations and because Paul was, had achieved this level of intimacy with Christ that he was immune from suffering. He wasn't, was he? But he had learned something in it. A New Testament theologian, N.T. Wright, wrote a book several years ago on the life of Paul. And what I thought was so amazing about Paul is he actually talks about the, the prison epistles. And I'd never really thought about this, is that Paul spent the last several years of his life alone in a prison. And, and maybe he would have been ha had some visitors, but that it was a very up and down time for Paul. Because as Paul looks back upon his life work, there's many people who are persevering in the faith and being faithful. But how many people had, had walked away? You know how difficult it is when you pour your life out to somebody and they walk away from you? When they walk away from truth? And here is Paul. He's, he's wrestling with the implications of looking back on his life and all the things that happened. And then he says in verse 12, he says, I've learned the secret or mystery of life. Now, this is only learned through experience. Paul says, I've gone through all of these experiences in life, and I've found the secret. Now, if you're reading this 2,000 years ago, if, if the church in, in Philippi is reading this, he actually uses a Greek word here that they would have used in the mystery cults of that day. It's actually the same Greek word that was used in that context that Paul uses. So he is saying, hey, they're claiming to know the mystery or secret of life, but I'm about to tell you the real secret of life. And you know how I found the secret? Through experience. I've gone through enough life. I've gone through enough ups and downs. Here's what Paul says. Paul says the secret to life is Christ's sufficiency. It's Christ's sufficiency. Now, some of us, if you've been in the church a long time, you're probably looking at this and you'll be like, yeah, I know that, Pastor. Like, that's not really revelation. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to live in it, isn't it? It's another thing to get into a place of life to say, you know what, my life does not ebb and flow according to my situation or circumstances or my bank account or what's happening around me. My life is anchored in Christ. And I have joy no matter the situation. How many know that's hard to do? 
That I aspire to that life where my, where, where my life doesn't ebb and flow according to what's happening around me. But I can say, like Paul, guess what? I've learned the secret of contentment. You know how I learned the secret of contentment? It's because I, I've, I've done all these different things, and I've learned that none of them satisfy, only Jesus does. And so that I can have joy in the moment because Christ is with me. Because my hope is secure, amen? That's what we do as Jesus people. As Jesus people in a changing culture that is freaking out every 12 minutes about something new, we are anchored in the hope of our eternity. Amen? Amen. If we don't do that, who will? And when Paul says this, when Paul's saying, here's the secret of mystery, this is a mic drop moment for Paul. I mean, this is where Paul just kind of walks away and says, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to, to wrestle with the implications of what this means because this is, it took me a lifetime, really, to figure out this place. Even that Paul struggled. Paul would have different idols in his life, and Paul would be pulled different directions. And, and here he is writing from prison and says, man, if you find this place where Christ is enough, no matter your situation, how beautiful is that? You're no longer riding the wave of circumstances. And then he gets into Philippians 4.13, right? And in Philippians 4.13, one of the most quoted verses anywhere. I mean, as a kid, you write this on your shoes, right? And then you jump off your, your uh, roof with an umbrella and you break your leg because it doesn't mean you can fly. You write this on your shoes before the basketball game. I, I did that because it's going to help you make the, at the buzzer beater, isn't it? You get this tattooed on your lower back before you go into the job interview because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It's, it's, it's not what it is. What is Paul saying? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is Paul saying he can do? I can live a life of contentment because Christ gives me strength in every situation. Well, that changes things. Are you telling me it's not just a blank check verse where I get to write in what, what I want to do? He says, no, no, I'm going to give you the strength in the place that you're in, in the season you're going through, not only to make it through, but actually have joy. Now, it's easy to say that, but you're like, Pastor, you don't actually know what I'm, I'm walking through. If you knew what I was walking through, you wouldn't. Is every moment of your life just, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of running through the, the lilies and the roses? No. But there's this deep, residing joy in us that does not go up and down depending on our circumstances. Amen? That Christ is fully enough for the place that you're in. And Paul had discovered this mystery. I love it that at the end of his life, he would write to this church in Philippi, and he would pray for them. And that they would have this knowledge and insight of who God is. That the, the palace, arriving at this palace in your life is less about your circumstances and more about the condition of your soul. That if we spent less time just trying to figure out our circumstances and more time really developing our hearts and our souls after Jesus, that things would actually change from the inside out, wouldn't they? That we would live from this deep place of overflow. Not from our insecurities, not from our need to achieve, not from the opinions of others, not chasing what's next, but from this deep, deep place of I know who I am in Christ. Let me tell you one thing that has to happen, though, if we live this life. I think we have to radically change our definition of success. For so much of my life, I'm 37 years old, for so much of my life, I pursued a definition of success that I don't think was biblical. 
I think it was achievement-based. Some of it was the own, my own need inside of me to achieve certain things. By the time I hit 30 years old, I want to have done all these things. Anybody ever have that list? By the time I'm 35, by, by the time I'm 40, I want to have done all these things. And, and so you live with this constant need to achieve and do these things. And then you hit these milestones and these birthdays in life. And you look back and you're like, well, that didn't happen. I didn't think that was going to go like that, right? And God had to deeply reshape what success looked like for me. Brad's been a part of this journey with me. He, he could probably tell you, like even in my 20s and early 30s, I was so driven to achieve, to plant churches, to build a church. And as, as I get older, I think as maturity sets in, as I get more perspective on life, it's more about finishing well. It's, a, it's more about loving my wife well and my kids well, and it's, it's living faithfully. And, and guess what changes in your definition of success? Not really about achieving this or that. Guess what, what, what success really looks like? Success is obedience. Success is obedience. I had to let go of what other people thought. The need to please others. This deep, deep kind of feeling inside of my soul that I somehow had to achieve something. God has rewired that inside of me. I love what Andy Stanley says about success. He says, we confuse success with the rewards of success. Success is remaining faithful to the process God has laid out for you. The rewards of success are the raise, the promotion, the recognition, a happy home, wonderful children. Those may or may not show up later. How many know that many of you in the room, you are a success, not because other people call you a success, because you have been faithful and obedient to the things that God has given you? How many know that is success? Can I tell you some of the most successful people that I've come across in my life? I was doing a church planning training just a few months ago uh, out on the West Coast, and this guy named Miguel came up to me. And Miguel's probably in his early 60s, Hispanic man. He lives partly in Mexico and partly in the United States. He pastors uh, one church in two locations in two countries. It took me a while to wrap my mind around that. He literally preaches on the Mexico border, goes across the border, and preaches on the American border. He's been doing this for 25 years. He's built a church of around 150 people. Miguel is telling me his story. And I was like, guess what, Miguel? You're never going to preach at a conference probably, and nobody will ever know your story. But, man, you are the definition of success and faithfulness. Your willingness to shepherd those people and love those families. A guy by the name of Toby in my life. Lindsay and I grew up in the same church together. Toby would take a week off of work every year to go to youth camp with us. Because one of our friends growing up had cerebral palsy. And Toby would take a week of vacation. He only got two weeks of vacation a year. He would take one week of his vacation to go to camp to carry my friend around from place to place so that he could be a part of the camp activities. It was the greatest week of his life because Toby was willing to make a sacrifice. Marshall and Cheryl, a couple in their mid-50s, who for years would teach the three- and four-year-old class on Sunday morning. You ever taught three- and four-year-olds? Come on now. That's a calling. <laughs> and they did it for years. And I remember watching them sometimes. They would come in in costume, and they were empty nesters. Their kids had moved out. And so they just poured their lives into teaching God's word to these kids. You know what's, you know what's hard about a three- and four-year-old? They don't come back to you and be like, hey, let me tell you how you impacted my life. <laughs> right? <laughs> you're planting seeds of the gospel. You don't see any harvest. In fact, you're, you're praying for demonic release. Right? <laughs> Most of the time. And I just watched them, their faithfulness. 
That's success. That's success. My first grade teacher, when I was in first grade, my heroes in life were my two grandpas. They both died of cancer in one year, six months apart from each other. One of my grandpas, he was a pastor, uh, an Assembly of God pastor for years. I loved that man. I remember I just, I just kind of went into a little shell. One morning at, at school, I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to be around anybody. And she took me aside. She took me outside the classroom. She prayed for me. She said, I, I bought you this book on how to deal with someone you love dies. And she walked me through it. How many know that's a success? How many of the, the stories that nobody will ever know? Success is obedience. You want to arrive into the palace, it's not because other people see you and be like, oh man, look at him, look at her, she's great. It's because you were obedient and faithful to the things God has called you to. We have to radically redefine success. Sometimes success is faithfulness just to keep going. You know, sometimes it's just putting one foot in front of the other. It's just saying, you know what, I'm not going to quit. Sometimes we think of faith as some kind of peripheral thing out there that's just, sometimes faith is literally just taking another step. Amen? Sometimes success is, is believing something you, you never get to see. Sometimes success is planting thousands of seeds that somebody else is going to harvest. You're, you're never even going to get the, the accolades for that. Sometimes success is working to see someone else's dreams come true. As I get older, it's less about my dreams and more about just other people's dreams. Man, I want to live my life helping other people's dreams come true. The greatest joy in life. Sometimes success is remaining unknown and inconspicuous. Sometimes success is praying and building a relationship over time so that one person can come to know Jesus. Amen? Some of us in the room, we were that one person, weren't we? Success. Success must be radically defined, redefined in terms of faithfulness, the condition of our soul, and obedience to Jesus. Obedience to what God is saying for us. This morning, as we kind of wrap this up, my, my prayer for us, my prayer for you is the same prayer that I've had for myself as I, as I wrote this book. It only took me seven years to write this book as God was redoing this in me. And, and let me just tell you, seven years ago, the last section of this book called The Palace was how to live out your calling and how to live in your gifting and how to live in all of the abilities that God has put inside of you. And as I actually begin to re write this book and walk it out, God inside of me rewrote the last section of this book. That it was less about my achievements, less about doing something great, and more about the condition of my soul. Faithfulness to Jesus. Obedience. Do this with me this morning. If you would just bow your heads right where you're at, I want to... I want to pray over you. I learned this over the years that the greatest teacher is the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do in this moment is just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts this morning. I, I, I just, I have a tendency to believe that many of you in the room are a lot like me and, and you're chasing. You're playing the win-then game. That the life that you've wanted contentment and, and joy and peace is you feel like it's eluding you because it's always one step away, right? Well, when the election ends and when we get back to normal and when we get here and when this happens, when my kids or my family or when this relationship 
And, and, and Jesus is literally inviting us into a place right now that says, no, not, not when, now. No, in, in the struggle, I'm sufficient for you. In the difficulty, I want to walk with you. To live not in our own self-sufficiency, but in Christ's sufficiency. That you and I, in 2021, in such a disorienting year, disorienting time to be alive can be tethered to something that does not go up and down based on what's happening. Think about that this morning. That Jesus is inviting you into this. He's saying as the storm of life is blowing people here or there, as they're going up and down on the waves, you can literally be tied to something that does not move. And Christ, out of his love for you, is inviting you into that. You're like, oh, man, that's, that sounds amazing. How do I even do that? You begin to take care of your soul. You develop rhythms and practices in your life that constantly draw you back to Jesus, draw you to him. Maybe for you it's limiting the, the amount of noise, the amount of news. Maybe it's finding quiet moments and quiet times. Maybe it's having a Sabbath and, and times where you just, you retreat from all of the noise around you and you just recenter your heart around Jesus. Let me tell you, church, if we are going to be effective to reach a world for Jesus, we have to retreat and be with Jesus. We have to be shaped. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you're, that you would search our hearts. God, we just ask in this moment, Lord, if there's anything that we are chasing that is not you, God, would you shine the spotlight of your Holy Spirit on those? That there's nothing we want apart from you. And I, I pray some, for some people right now, I just, I just, I, I feel like there's some people that they have been on this treadmill and they are just and they're running and they're doing so much and they're so scattered and distracted and, and you are just wanting to whisper to them this morning and just be still and know that I'm fully in control. Rest in me. Come away and learn the unforced rhythms of grace that, man, it's, it's not about what's happening around you. I, I, I've got you. I want to re renew you and restore your soul this morning. I want to give you life in the midst of this storm like you don't have to ride the waves. Father, help us to step out of the circumstances and step into your grace and peace. God, I, I pray at the end of my life that I can say what Paul has said. I have learned the secret and the mystery of life, and it is Christ in every season, in every place, in every time, and nothing can take that from me. Nothing can take it because Christ is sufficient for me. I speak that blessing over Core Church this morning, that Christ would be everything that we need. Christ would be fully sufficient for our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.